0: Matt kind of talked to, to us about using our spiritual gifts sacrificially, um, and this week Paul gives us uh, some really practical advice on just how to be an authentic Christian, right? So it's like Christianity 101, and we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, but let's start by just reading this whole passage together. We're going to be in Romans 12, 9 through 21, so let's do this together. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, pray that as I'm teaching from this passage, that these would be your words and not mine, that your spirit would be teaching through me and that the Spirit would be living and active in each of our hearts so that we can sap every nugget of goodness from this passage that we possibly can. So we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, I have a very serious question for all of you. And this is going to be very interactive. Call it out. What is your favorite fast food burger? Throw it out there. What? Somebody? Okay. That's awesome that somebody said Bebops right away. Anybody else? What? Culver's is pretty good. Jack in the Box. In the box. Yeah, Texas. Yeah. You're fine. So in, in my worship leaders group on Facebook, the, the debate is between Whataburger and In-N-Out Burger, and I've had neither of those things. I don't have any, you know, I'm pretty biased, but Bebop's is the best burger, and I will fight you on it. This is the, this is the, uh, the Bacon Deluxe, I believe. Um, so just incredible, and I know that it's the best, because when I worked at Hy-Vee, they would come through and get their produce from us, so I knew that it was going to be the freshest produce. That is real salad, that's real bacon, that's real tomatoes that we put through the produce section, so I know that that's the best burger, and it's the only authentic Bebop's burger, and I miss it, because it's all the way over in Ames, but that's probably for the best. Um, So here's why I bring this up. (laughs) When you look at this passage in Romans 12, You've got a nice little bun on top and you've got a nice bun on the bottom where it talks about getting rid of what's evil and holding fast to what is good, right? And right there in the middle, 10 through 20, you've got all the little fixins, right? So you've got your salads, you've got your tomatoes, onions, pickles, all the, all the good stuff. And what we're going to do today is what my daughters like to do, which is take the buns off, put it all out on the plate for some reason because we can't just pick it up. God gave it handles so that we could eat it that way. But for some reason, they like to deconstruct it and have a salad or something. I don't understand it. A beef salad of some sort. Um, So, yeah, we're going to have it that way, um, the way that Bella and Addie do it. So, that is what we're going to be digging into. So, top bun. We're going to talk about that right now. So, God is good, so do good. That is verse 9, right off the bat. Let Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So, what is good, anyway? First, before we, we talk about that, we talk about let your love be genuine, right? So what I've been trying to work on as a worship leader and as, as a youth pastor, um, being intentional and, and relational with people versus being transactional. And here's what I mean by that. Um, worship leaders especially, we're always asking people to serve, right? Because we have to fill the slots. You guys, we have an awesome band this morning, right? Um, we have to ask these people to serve because they're volunteers and they could not serve if they wanted to, right? Um, So part of being a worship leader is always asking people to serve and that can very quickly become a what have you done for me lately type of situation, right? And that's the opposite of what we want in the kingdom of God. We want it to be relational. We want to know each other well so that when we do serve together, it's like serving with brothers and sisters, right? We're close and we see each other. So when it says, let your love be genuine, that's what it means. It means I'm not just loving you enough that you continue to serve, right? (laughs) I'm not just loving you enough that you give me what I need, right? I'm loving you actively. And if I get something in return, great, but I'm going to love you regardless. That's what love being genuine looks like in the church, Genuine means just as authentic in public as it does in private, too, right? I'll just throw this little question out there for you guys to be thinking about throughout this service. If you end up falling asleep, maybe you'll remember this one. Do you alter how you behave with your kids or your spouse in public? And why is that? Are you, are you genuinely loving in private? Or do you just put on the face that you are genuinely loving to your kids in public? What does it look like? What does that difference look like? And is that love genuine? Because Jesus says that the next generation, these, these kids are the next generation, and they are to be loved on as such, right? And if Jesus is calling us to that, we should too. Same with our spouses. We should be loving them genuinely as much as we are in public as we are in private. Okay, so I'll get off that soapbox here. Um <clears throat> I really stole this passage from Matt. We went on a, uh, a staff outing a few weeks ago, and he had us read through this passage in Exodus 34. Um, <clears throat> and it's the first time that God describes himself. And here's why I bring this up. The second half of verse 9 it says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, right? So what is, what is good? How do we hold fast to it if we don't know what it is, right? Well, God is good. God is goodness, so, when he describes himself, we should listen, right? So, the first time that he describes himself in Exodus 34, he shows himself to Moses. He passes by him. And this is what he says The Lord passed before him and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then it goes on. To say, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he's still going to be just, right? But the first thing that he says is verse 6 here, where he says that I am merciful and gracious. I'm slow to anger. The anger is still there, but he's slow to it. He has a long, long wick to get to that point, right, or fuse, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's natural setting is to love, and it takes him a long time to get to that point where that retributive justice comes in, right, God's wrath. He loves first, and then after time, as we disobey and disobey and disobey, he's very long-suffering with us until we get that punishment. We're the opposite, right? (laughs) Right? We get mad like that, and it takes a lot for us to love. It feels unnatural for us to go out of our way to love somebody, right? That's done by the Spirit. But what we want to pull from this passage is that God's not just fair, he's good, right? God is just, and he is fair, and whatever he says goes, because he's God, right? But he's also good, so he can see these things as they are of coming against him and against his perfection and his his perfect uh, expectations. But instead, he gives us grace and mercy, and he defines himself as such, right? In God's courtroom, justice looks a lot more like restoration than it does vengeance. I'll say that one more time. In God's courtroom, or in, in God's idea of justice, it looks... A lot more like restoration than it does vengeance he's not just waiting to avenge he's waiting to love he's ready to love and he wants to bring things back to their original state otherwise he wouldn't have sent his son to die for us so that we could have that original state amen so anybody know Narnia around here yeah, sweet. Okay, so I'm going to make some of you mad because if you watch the movies, it's, they call him Aslan, and I have a friend in high school, her, her name is Aslan, and so I just can't see his name as Aslan. I see it as Aslan, that's how I read it when I was in sixth grade. Um, so Aslan, yeah, whatever, is this giant lion in the book, right? And so he is supposed to be representing Christ, and he's strong and abnormally large and he is the king that, that rules over the whole kingdom, right? And he shows himself in powerful ways. And there's a part in that book that, and I believe it's Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Um, somebody asks, is this lion safe? Is Aslan safe? And they say, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's the picture of God that we should have. Goodness doesn't mean that he's weak, God is strong, but he's good regardless of his strength. He loves us fiercely. He is a dangerous lion, but he loves us because he chooses to. And he calls us to be good as he is. So that brings us to our second point here. Jesus did things completely differently, and so should we, right? God is good, so do good. Jesus did things differently, and so should we. So here's where we get to all those little bits and pieces, the the lettuce, the tomato, the bacon, the the whatever, the mayo, all of that is this verse 10 through 20, right? Because as Christians, we're called to reflect Christ's example. But how? So let's walk through these. Verse 10. We're called to out love one another. And this is just kind of my, my take on each of these verses. You can go back to the original and see what it originally said. I'm just trying to sum it up so it can fit in a graph, right? So outlove one another. John 13 35 says they'll know who you are by how you love each other, right? That's how we represent Christ to the world around us. And why is this so important? Because it fuels the gospel. If we're loving on each other and showing honor to one another, that's going to pull us up to where we can go and serve wholeheartedly and do the same for somebody else. And it's a cycle, right? And it multiplies as such. So it fuels the gospel and makes us want to spread it like it did in the early church. Verse 11, serve God fervently. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says that we're to be working for God, not for man, right? Work with all your might in order to respect God and show him how much you love him as an act of worship. It's not supposed to be that we're working for men; we're working for God, so that regardless who our master is, regardless of who our boss is, that we show even them honor by showing God honor. Why is this important? It recenters centers our purpose and our vision, right? So in worship ministry, I often say, Yes, we are here to lift God's name up and make his name known. That is the purpose of worship. But it's also to help us recenter and recalibrate on God's power, presence, and purpose. Right? So that's what this does. When we serve God fervently, whatever it is, whether it's up here on stage doing music or if it's working hard in our jobs, we are to be doing it fervently for the Lord, so that we can recenter and repurpose ourselves for his purpose. Verse 12 says, Be defined by hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, on that whole list, it says, Love hopes all things, right? We're def- we are to be defined by hope and not this shallow optimism, but a hope, knowing that things are going to be hard, we are going to go through a lot. That God is good, and that Jesus died for us, so we have eternal hope and we have present hope in the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know this is a lot, and it, it, honestly, Romans twelve could be divvied up into about ten different or ten different messages, right? So we're just going to drink out of the fire hose today. So why is that important? Why is it important to be defined by hope? Because active hope breeds resilience. The more that we hope, and more that we Define ourselves by it and by the gift that God has given us and gives us, the more those circumstances come in and they don't shake us as much. We can stand on our own two feet. We can stand on that foundation that God has given us in hope. And that's attractive to people to see. Verse 13 says, Invest in the gospel. More or less, <laughs> it's what it's saying in that verse. And 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, is the passage where it says that I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth, right? God calls us to be faithful, not necessarily fruitful. Shout out to Trevor Smith for coming up with that one. God calls us to faithfulness, not necessarily fruitfulness, right? Because He's the one that brings the fruit. He just wants us to be faithful in our actions and to invest in the gospel, invest in in his purposes. And why is that important? Because when we plant seeds, God gives the increase. We see the fruit of that and we get to praise God for the fruit. We do our part. We plant the seeds, we invest and we love on people and then we see what God can do with it. Verse 14, bless like God does. Matthew 5, 44 through 45 has this interesting part in it where this is Jesus talking and he, he essentially says that God sends rain on on both pastures the ones that are faithful and the ones that are not faithful and so we're called to do the same to bless others regardless of what they've done to us regardless of what they've done for us we are to bless because that's what god does god blessed everyone so we should too verse 15 experience life Together. Galatians 5 2 says, Bear each other's burdens, right? We're not just supposed to say, You know, how was your week? How can I be praying for you? Yeah, it sounds great, and then forget about it immediately. We're supposed to live life together as a family, especially in connection groups, right? They're built for that. To look somebody in the eye and say, I know you're struggling with this. How is it going today? Or even this afternoon? (laughs) We should be active in each other's lives, living with each other, bearing each other's burdens and pains, and and celebrating together as well because empathy breeds unity. When we're looking at somebody else more than we're looking at ourselves, that's where the unity comes in because that's what God does for us, right? He has no reason, no reason at all to put us first. He's the God of the universe. But he calls us to do that because he does that. Verse 16 says, unify in Christ's humility. John 3.30 essentially says, he must increase, I must decrease. Unify in Christ's humility. And why is that so important? Because our unity shows the world the value of God's wisdom. Again, God has no business being humble. (laughs) He deserves to be praised, and it's our purpose to praise him. He chooses to be humble. So what right do we have not to be? As his creation, what right do we have not to be humble? Let's keep rolling here. Verse 17. And again, I know these kind of go quick, and I would sit on this for a whole Sunday on each of these verses. They're just so full of truth. Verse 17 says, don't be reactionary, essentially. Don't be reactionary. Matthew 5 says to turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus tells us to do, right? Because the world sees a people who love consistently when we do that. And we don't get hurt and immediately hurt back. I can't tell you, as I used to work in schools and I would have kids say, well, i find out that he punched a kid and it's, well, he hit me first. So? You don't hit people. Don't do that. Same here. If somebody hits you, somebody hurts you, God's not calling us to hit them back. It's not retributive justice, and we'll get to that later, because that's God's job. But the world sees a people who love consistently when we don't react and we instead are proactive in loving the people around us. Okay, verse 18. Seek reconciliation. Don't just look for there to be justice. Look for there to be reconciliation that you would have repair in, in relationships and we'd see stuff being brought back to unity. This passage says that as, as far as it is up to us, we are to be at peace with those around us, right? We have to do our part in reconciliation. We can't control them, but we can control our actions, right? Philippians 2.15 says that we are called to be blameless and innocent in the, in the side of the world. We can't do that if we're not doing absolutely everything that we can to make those relationships be at peace. So even when it's impossible, we have to try right? If we know that that person is a lost cause, we are still called in this passage, in this verse, to do everything we can. You can't just give up. Sorry to say that. Verse 19. Don't be an avenger. <laughs> Mainly because, I don't know, we don't have superpowers or something. I capitalized the A for some reason. But Psalm eighty-nine fourteen says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of Of your throne God is defined by his righteousness and his justice just like he said in Exodus 34 he is just he will avenge he will bring justice but it's gonna look a whole lot more like restoration and sometimes we don't want to hear that we want to hear that God got mad and he made it known and he did what we couldn't do, right? It's up to God. God is just. He can do what he wants. God is fully capable of handling it. God is fully capable of taking that situation and bringing restoration to it instead of just vengeance. Verse 20. Instead, just love. Just love. Because this heaps coals on their head, right? It's a weird phrase. Heaving coals just means that they feel that conviction. They feel the need to go and find that restoration and to go to you and restore that relationship because you've poured into them. You've done, like we said in verse 18, everything we can to make the relationship at peace. That's what verse 20 tells us to do. And why? Because we don't convict. The Holy Spirit does. We don't have any power to convict anybody. We can try. They'll probably just get more mad at us. Right? <laughs> it, just, it doesn't help the relationship at all. But we can pray for them, and we're called to pray for them, and we're called to love them with everything we've got. Love God, love others. Two greatest commandments. Okay. <sighs> right? So much information. It's hard to drink all of that at the same time. That second half of it, though, I, I really feel like we need to just sit in that for a minute. Because we're, we're called not to avenge, but to let God do that. And that's hard to do, especially when we've been hurt real, real bad. And we don't know what to do with that. God calls us to submit to him, right? Like we we just saying earlier, I surrender to you. I want to know you more. So that by knowing you, I can have that peace and I can know that you've got this. And that I don't need to fight for my own justice because you already did. Both eternally and, and present in each day. And there's no better example than I can think of this other than... Um, there's a coach, I don't know if you guys know this story. Uh, it's probably about 11 years old at this point. Um, Applington Parkersburg had a coach named Ed Thomas... And he did everything he possibly could to represent Christ. He mowed, mowed the lawns himself. He got coach of the year for NFL. Um, the National Football League gave him you know, coach of the, high school coach of the year. They had a giant tornado come through. He led the effort to rebuild their town, rebuild their, uh, their high school, their football field to give hope to his community. And then what does he get for it? He gets murdered by one of his students. He got shot seven times in front of other students in the locker room. That's enough to make somebody really, really, really mad. To have a leader in the community that has poured his whole life and been a living sacrifice, right? He loved Jesus, he represented Jesus to that community. So his family had every right to be mad, angry, not just at the boy that shot him, but at God. Because the boy, you can understand, he, he had schizophrenia. and So he didn't necessarily maybe even know what he was doing. But it's easy to be mad at God for letting that happen. Why? Why would you let that happen? But we don't see that. We don't see that happening in this story. If you know the end of this, they end up going to the Espies for a... Arthur Asher Courage Award because they didn't hesitate to love that family across the aisle. The family of the boy that shot Ed Thomas, they stood up in front of the community at a press conference and said, make sure you love on them. Don't let them fall through the cracks. And I just have a, a clip from that SB award, so let's, let's take a quick look at this.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the recipients of the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage, the Thomas family. On on behalf of our entire family, uh, my brother Todd, his wife Candace, my mother, myself, my wife Ellie, uh, we are extremely humbled and honored to be awarded the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. When you look at former winners in the company we've joined, from from Coach Valvano to the Tillman Brothers to Nelson Mandela, and to think that our dad and the example he set of doing what's right has now led us into this category. We went through many tough times, but we had a great example from my father on how to handle adversity. He led our town through the rebuilding of the tornado, and just as he said on the screen, you got to dust yourself off, get up. Everything he did, he did based off his faith, and that's what he led us by. My dad was known as a football coach, as the NFL football coach of the year. But that's not who he was. Anybody who really knew him, was he was led by his faith, and then his family, and finally his football. Without that, there's no way we could have got through the past two years. I view this as kind of the total opposite. I never once imagined we'd bury my dad from being murdered. I never once imagined we'd be at the ESPYs receiving an award from Brett Favre. But the example he set And the challenge, I believe, for all of us, I know as a family, our hope and what we're looking to do is carry forward the legacy my dad left, the example that he set. When I look at all the celebrities and stars and people we see, the impact that you can have on young people, the impact you can have on our world just by doing what's right, to me is unbelievable. When you look at a man from a town of 2,000 people, the example he set, the standard he set, how did he ever learn? live your life strictly by doing what's right that's the legacy we hope to continue of our father to carry forward what we were taught lead by example carry his faith and through this we'll continue to get through we've got up dust ourselves off and we'll continue to push forward just like my dad would have wanted on behalf of ESPN we thank everyone thank you
0: so I'm glad that they got credit for that. And he even says, you know, faith, family, Falcon football, right? But it kind of falls empty. Because as much as we give them credit, let's give the Holy Spirit credit where credit's too. They pursued unity, and they pursued being a hard-working family in their community every day, just like Ed did. And because of that, because of their diligence to pursue God and pursue serving him, the Holy Spirit took action immediately and gave them strength when they didn't have any. They were able to do what seems impossible to the world and support the family of the boy who killed their their dad and their their grandfather even. The world sees that as impossible. Nothing is impossible. Impossible but we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. That's the third point here, is that the Spirit fuels and enables us to follow His lead. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7 again, it says, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives growth. Loving well is not always easy. Sometimes the people across the aisle are cruel and hard to forgive and there's a lot of baggage that goes along with that. We are called to trust God's vengeance, trust God's justice and his goodness. And just like the top bun, the bottom bun says the same thing, right? Reject evil. Pursue good. So to abhor, abhor evil, as it says in verse 9, is to be just disgusted by it, repelled by it, that you can't even be in the same room as it. You have to get away from it. And the opposite, to pursue good. Pursue God and God's goodness. We are called to do everything we can to love him with our, our mind, soul, soul, and spirit, right? And then to love others as we would love ourselves. Loving well isn't easy and it's only possible through the spirit. That's the only way that we can see this giant list of what we're supposed to do as Christians, right? And just do it is being empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the main way that we do that is loving genuinely. And the easiest way to get to that goal is to reject evil and pursue good wholeheartedly. Let me pray for you guys. The band can come on up. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we get to worship you. That we get to choose to do these things on a regular basis. That we can pick up our Bible and and hear your word in a tangible way. We can see what you want us to do because you've written it down and we can study it, we can see you in those words, and you can speak to us in those words and tell us how to live a life that is worthy of you and worthy of the calling that we've received. So as much of a fire hose as we just drank out of, God, let us take that one thing away, that you are good so much better than we are. We don't have an ounce of good in us. The only good that we have in us is because of you. And we want to represent you well to the people around us. So help us to reject whatever evil is in us, whatever flesh is in us, put it away, get rid of it, and then pursue you. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.